You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Uh, today's Palm Sunday, as Caleb said, beginning of Holy Week, and so we're going to get into the Word. Um, today's message is going to be on Palm Sunday, uh, what that looked like and, and how it impacts us and what the beginning of Holy Week looks like. Uh, then we have Good Friday service, we have Easter or Resurrection Sunday, um, and then we have a very special guest uh, pastor coming in the following Sunday, which you're not going to want to miss, and uh, then we'll be jumping into the book of Philippians after that, and I'm excited in what God's already shown me in and through that book as I've been studying and preparing um, for those messages, so that's where we'll be headed. So, but let's pray first. Father, thank you for the freedom we have to be here, the freedom we have in Christ, We thank you for the freedom we have to meet in this very facility, in this room. We thank you for what this week represents. Lord, would you help us to to hold dear to it and to stay focused on you. Father, would you speak to us individually this morning through your word? And would you speak to us corporately as a church and bring us into unity in faith? God, would you speak to those that maybe don't have a relationship with you or maybe struggling with that relationship? Father, would you restore them and would you draw them into your presence? And Father, I pray that you would speak to me and through me, that you would bring direction and correction in my life, even through this message, Father, even as I taught it in first service, Lord, you were speaking volumes to me. But in all of that, Lord, I pray that you, that your word would be heard, that you would be understood and and. God, that we would apply what you have for us to apply this morning. So we surrender this time to you, and we trust in you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in several different passages this morning. Our main text is kind of Matthew 21, 1 through 11. And the title is Love That Starts With Celebration. At Christmas time, you remember, in Christmas Eve, we we started with the main theme of God so loved. For God so loved, that's where we started this. God loves us so much that he put a plan in place. Jesus willingly stepped into that plan. He he knew that he was heading into a week. Um, There would be some celebration, but but in that celebration, that holy week, there was a journey that would be taking him directly to the cross, a cross where he would be um, beaten, brutalized, where he would die, but then where there was resurrection again, and where he would join the Father in heaven once again. And we think about the themes of Holy Week, and I love when we get around this time, and, I, and, and Christmas, Christmas Eve, and Good Friday are kind of my two favorite services to do. And we'll talk a lot Friday about more of the timeline of, of what happened at the crucifixion. But today, we kind of look at what the Holy Week themes were, and an overall glimpse of that and Palm Sunday today, that, that love that starts with celebration, a, a humble ride 
that he takes into celebration, but also a very misunderstood celebration. It was not the time for the new kingdom. Then when we get to Good Friday, that, that love that sacrificed all, ultimate obedience, betrayal, denial, forsaken, it is finished. And then we have Resurrection Sunday, love that forgives sin. He is risen and we're forgiven. And then it's time for us to go to work because he had a plan for us. Palm Sunday. Most of us have heard the story. We know all that it's all about and the story never changes. The story never gets old. The activities that we see through God's word that lead up to the crucifixion and to next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, are at the very core of our DNA as Christians, as followers of Christ. At Christmas, we talk about how Jesus stepped out of the very expanse of heaven. Can you imagine the beauty of where he was in that throne room? And he stepped out of there to become a man. Not just a man, but to start in the shape of a, a baby, the form of a baby, born of a virgin, fulfilling many prophecies. He, he did this with the knowledge that ultimately that, that sacrifice would happen and it would be his life that would be sacrificed. His life would be sacrificed to restore our relationship with the Father. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them. I came to fulfill. He came to bring restoration. So as we approach Resurrection Sunday, this Easter weekend, we celebrate the fulfillment of prophecy that brought us salvation. And this week's events are recorded in all four Gospels, and I encourage you to take a look at those other accounts on your own this week as you study. We see in today Matthew 21, but also Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. Every year, every t- every year we get to this time, and I find it curious that, that we're reminded that almost half the book of John is about the final week of Jesus' life on earth. Two-fifths of the Gospel of Matthew is about this week. Three-fifths of Mark and one-third of Luke are also about this week's events. The four Gospels have a total of 89 chapters. Four chapters are about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. 29 chapters are devoted to the final week of Jesus' life. It means 85 chapters, 85 chapters. About the last three and a half years. So what did this last week of Jesus' life look like? I want to give us a visual snapshot of the week, a, a timeline, so to speak, starting with Friday before Palm Sunday. Jesus arrives in Bethany on the slope of the Mount of Olives. John 12:1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. It's here that Mary anointed Jesus' feet with costly perfume as an act of humility. This tender expression indicated Mary's devotion to Jesus and her willingness to serve him. Then the Saturday before Palm Sunday, a a Sabbath day of rest. It's not mentioned in the Gospels, but the Lord most likely spent the day in traditional fashion with his friends. Sunday, the triumphal entry, or Palm Sunday. The first day of the week, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling the ancient prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. 
The crowds welcomed him with Hosanna, the words of Psalm 118, 25 through 26. O Lord, do save, we beseech thee. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. This was actually a plea for salvation. It was that they were assigning already. They assigned and they proclaimed the messianic title, the agent of the Lord, the coming king of Israel, Jesus. The road, they walked on, they climbed to the the top of the Mount Olives. How amazing the view of Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley to the west and the desert of Judea to the east. Well, that was Sunday. Now Monday, the clearing of the temple. Matthew 21, 12 through 13, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, overturning the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Jesus drove them out. Tuesday, titled as a day of controversy and parables, found in Matthew 21, 23 through 24, In Jerusalem, Jesus evaded the traps of the priests. And somewhere on the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem, Jesus taught in parables. And he warned the people about the Pharisees. He predicted the destruction of Herod's temple. And he told the disciples about future events, including his return. Wednesday, most likely a day of rest. I only say this because scripture doesn't mention the day. But if we count out the days, it seems to indicate that there is another day in the Gospels where it records nothing happened. Thursday, Passover, the Last Supper, and Matthew 26, 17. Uh, But in in an upper room, Jesus prepared himself and his disciples for his death. Jesus gave him a, a whole new meaning for the Passover meal. The bread and the wine were to represent his body soon to be sacrificed, his blood soon to be shed. He instituted the Lord's Supper, which we continue to do in obedience to God's word, remembering his life, death, burial, and resurrection. That's what we're going to do today after service. We're going to take a moment to remember what it is that he did for us. After singing a hymn together, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed in agony, knowing what laid ahead of him. That statement that he made, so powerful. Not my will, but your will be done. That's something that we should all pray on a daily basis. Not my will, but your will be done. Friday, the crucifixion, seen in Matthew 27. Following betrayal, arrest, desertion, false trials, denial, condemnation, beatings, mockery. Jesus was required to carry his own cross to the place of the skull where, well, he was sacrificed with two other prisoners. Friday afternoon, Saturday, Sunday morning in the tomb. Jesus' body was laid in the tomb before 6 p.m. Friday evening. That's when the Sabbath began and all work had to stop. He laid there throughout the Sabbath. Sunday, the resurrection Matthew 28, early in the morning, the women went to the tomb and found the stone closing the tomb's entrance had been rolled back. The angel told them Jesus was alive. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene in the garden. He appeared to Peter, as well as two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Later that day, to all the disciples. 
except for Thomas. His resurrection was established as a historical fact. So that's Holy Week at a glance, but we start today with Palm Sunday, love that starts with celebration. So let's read this morning's main text, Matthew 21, 1 through 11, the triumphal entry. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there with a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Palm Sunday, an amazing celebration of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. When we were studying through the book of John, we saw Jesus battle at holding off the people from making him king. And we also saw him battle uh, the Pharisees who wanted to kill him prematurely. An amazing journey, for sure. And now that journey is coming to its end, at least for him on earth. For us as Christians, it's just the beginning, just the beginning for us. And that's what we celebrate today and this week, Resurrection Sunday. Really, every day we should be celebrating because we have hope. We should be joyful. The last part of Psalm Uh, 30, verse 5, it says, Weeping may last for the night, but a shadow of joy comes in the morning. See, listen, when darkness covers your heart, you might think that you have no hope. But just as the sun disperses the nighttime at daybreak, your circumstances will change at the Lord's command. So wait in hope and trust in him, because his joyous triumph is most surely on its way. It's hard for us, isn't it? As we go through the midst of all the mess, all the life stuff, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Keep your eyes on him. Don't get distracted. This week, the final days of Jesus' earthly ministry, it seems great at first. What an amazing time. You can imagine the excitement But then it gets very dark as Friday approaches. Jesus and his posse cruise the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent the two disciples ahead to Bethpage to find a ride, not just any ride, but a specific ride, an unbroken colt of a donkey, meaning it was not trained to hold a rider, it was not trained to perform any tasks, and not only was it there where Jesus said it would be, the people gave it to him, to them, as they said, Jesus told them what to say. They said it, the people said, sure, it's yours, take it. They brought the donkey to Jesus, 
They put their coats on it and Jesus climbed aboard. There's a couple things we see here that we need to remember. One, the disciples are in a place with their relationship with Jesus that they do not question his instructions. One example is Luke 5, 4 through 6. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and we've caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When he had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. What would your response be if Jesus asked you to do something simple? Would you say yes? Would you engage in what that is? What if he asked you to do something a little more extreme? How is your relationship with Jesus today? Do you spend time in conversation with him? Would you even know what his voice was? Would you be able to hear it? When the Holy Spirit prompts you to act, do you obey? Or do you ignore it, question it maybe, or, or maybe even make an excuse? I've personally learned that God does speak to us through his word. He speaks to us through godly counsel, and he speaks to us through the prompting and leading of the Holy Spirit. But, listen, he'll only do that if we're looking, if we're seeking to hear from him. If we're not seeking to hear from him and we just want to say something and walk away, it's, we talked about it in prayer before we started first service. When we pray and we say amen, is that the kind of end of it for us and we walk away? Or we have this prayer that we're asking God for, do we stay engaged in that, seeking that answer, seeking him to speak to us? We've got to do our part. You're only going to hear from him if you're truly seeking him. We have to put ourselves in a posture of being able to hear from him or we'll miss what he's saying or we'll simply ignore it. Even as we get ready to do the prayer after second service today, it's, it's can we press in a little bit in the quietness of the Lord? Can we press in a little bit and ask him to speak to us? Do we do that at home? Do we do that when we're driving? Next, we see the donkey, a colt of a donkey. Donkeys are strange animals. Anybody ever hang out with a donkey? They're weird. If you have a carrot, they love carrots. That's one thing I know. If you happen to be in a car and you're down south where donkeys roam free, and you happen to roll down your wife's window as you hold said carrot, not that I've ever done that. They're strange creatures. They live 40 to 60 years. They like carrots, they roll around on the dirt. They're just an odd creature. But remember, there's a significance in Jesus riding the colt of a donkey. When we think of a king and, and what he would ride into town on, we visualize greatness, right? A large, purebred horse, something huge, majestic, and powerful. Kings rode majestic horses as they went to war. You look at the example we have today in our own society, when a, a president travels, there's this huge plane, right, Air Force One, then we've got the helicopter, we've got a motorcade, we have a traffic jam everywhere. When we, we, we think of those in power, we think of something like that, right? Something kind of majestic and intimidating looking. 
But back in Jesus' time, a king would ride the colt of a donkey in a time of peace. Or when he was in the process of being anointed the king, the priest had Solomon ride King David's mule when he was being anointed. The donkey Jesus rode had never been ridden. If you've ever been around horses, you know if it hasn't been broke, <laughs> you don't want to get on it. But this donkey didn't ride up, act up. It, it, it didn't misbehave. That's an unusual thing. Jesus headed then the direction of Jerusalem and the crowd gathered and it grew larger and larger and the crowd understood that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed, but they thought that the time to set up the kingdom of God was now. May your kingdom come and your will be done now. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. Jesus tried to tell them that it wasn't time yet. They didn't hear him. They would not hear him. They had made a choice to see their will be done. The same thing happens today. God speaks to us through his word, and yet people still believe and do what they want to do, what they perceive as truth. We hear that a lot today. Well, that's your truth. You can believe that. Matthew 21, 8, most of the crowd spread their coats on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road as well. It was the action of the crowds that gives us the name of Palm Sunday. They were responding as they would to royalty, spreading out their coats in front of the colt and the palm branches cut from the field. The crowd is verbally acknowledging him as well. They're acknowledging the prophecy of Christ. However, Jesus offered relationship, not a continuation of religion, religious mandates or duties that the Pharisees had set forth. Jesus showed the people that it was not about works, yet any man should boast. And this threw off the Pharisees. They were getting angrier and angrier at Jesus. You can see how Luke described it in Luke 19, 37 through 40. And as soon as he, Jesus, was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. <laughs> However, some of the Pharisees, in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Jesus saw no reason to tell them to stop. And this caused the Pharisees to freak out even more, to flip their lid. They were angry. They were trying to plot and figure out how can they get rid of him. 
So let me ask you this, a question for you. Are you willing to worship Jesus no matter what, no matter where you are? You see, we have the luxury of coming here on a Sunday morning and we worship in song. It's awesome. We are so, so blessed as Caleb and the team lead us. And it's much needed. It prepares our hearts and it prepares our minds to receive his word. We have so much freedom. But the reality is that we should be able to walk out of here and stand in the middle of a parking lot and worship God with the same intensity, if not even more. You can worship in the car. You can worship on a walk. You can worship at work. As I've said before, as I work construction, I remember being on projects or job sites and just worshiping while I worked, experiencing the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in someone's garage while cutting material or in somebody's bathroom while I'm setting tile or in somebody's kitchen setting cabinets. The question is, are you worshiping God wherever you are? Now, we have to remember that worship is more than just song. It doesn't mean you have to carry around your guitar. Most of us shouldn't carry around a guitar. Me, I shouldn't. Romans 12, 1 and 2, one of my favorite passages. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Our lifestyle is our worship. And as we live our life as a life of worship, we then know God's will. Two go hand in hand. So what we do on a daily basis, an hourly basis, even minute by minute, is indeed worship to God. Or is it? What does your life look like on a daily basis? Is it honoring God? Is it worshiping him? So how is your worship lifestyle? Some 450 to 500 years before Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, I referred to earlier Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah prophesied that this event that we call Palm Sunday would happen. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is endowed, he is just and endowed with salvation. Humble, mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. Prophecy fulfilled. A time to rejoice for sure. Jerusalem welcomed their king, but the celebration would be short-lived. Remember, we've been talking about how the Jews wanted Jesus to set them free from Roman rule and persecution. But Jesus came to spiritually free them. That was his priority. Jesus came for all of us. One of the things we prayed this morning as well is there's a, a day of unrest and a day of retribution that was called on today against uh, churches and Christian organizations and, and the first thing that we prayed for, as, even as I woke up this morning thinking about this, the first thing I prayed for was, Lord, would you draw them to you? There's some hurting and confused and broken people that need you. Would you restore them and draw them into your presence, into your kingdom? And the secondary prayer was, God, protect us and watch over us. 
what is our focus? Jesus came for all of us. And these next two verses as Christians kind of become cliche, but really they're the main thing in our faith. And most of you could probably quote them. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's the main thing. Jesus was, Jesus was focused on our primary need, something that would last us for eternity, not something short-lived like politics or national freedom or cultural freedom, but individual salvation, individual restoration with God. The crowd that was engaged in laying down their coats and celebrating and singing missed the main point. They missed the true reason that Jesus came. They had no clue as to where they would be in a week. They're celebrating today, but what they thought of Jesus would drastically change. They did not see, nor did they understand the cross. That's why it says in Luke 19, 41 through 44, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now how they've been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, surround you and hem you in on every side. They will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you do not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus wept over the city. He was referring to Daniel's prediction stating that when the Messiah would come in Daniel 9:26, the Messiah would appear 483 years after the command to restore the city of Jerusalem. If you're skeptical about Jesus or maybe you just want to learn more about the prophecies that are fulfilled, I would encourage you to look deeper into the scriptures and and to read a, a book by Sir Robert Anderson called The Coming Prince. He discovered the day the Jews were given the command to rebuild. It was March 14th, 445 BC. Using the Babylonian calendar, which is what biblical times are based on, he found that 483 years was equal to 173,880 days. So he began March 14th, 445 BC, and counted 173,880 days, leading to April 6th AD. 32, the actual date, he says, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and presented himself as their king. You know, there are over 300 prophecies fulfilled through Jesus. Look him up, study him. So Jesus, the Messiah, was right there, but they didn't recognize who he was and what he was offering. The very same people who were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, on Palm Sunday were screaming, crucify him, crucify him by Friday. And here's the reality for all of us. Philippians 2, 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, worship will be genuine at the time of judgment. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But the question then for us is, which side of that will you be on? 
The side of regret because you didn't believe in him before you died? Or on the side of joyful worship because you're a follower of Christ? When we finished our study in the book of Revelation, it's where we saw the Apostle John talking about a scene in heaven that shows celebration beyond our wildest dreams. Revelation 7, 9, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. In verse 10 of Revelation 7, uh, those palm-bearing saints will shout, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. And who can measure the sum of their joy. Joy made complete. So today, Palm Sunday, we get to focus on praising God, on celebrating, on worshiping God, because we have the ability to see the whole picture as it's laid out in the Bible. Where they couldn't see it, we get the whole view. We know where this is headed. It leads to the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the restoration of our relationship with God. That's why we can praise him wholeheartedly on Palm Sunday. The passage also reminds us that it's time for God's plan to unfold. Jesus had been keeping those at bay who wanted him dead until now. It's something we struggle with, God's divine providence. We think we know what we want when we want it. But God has the plan, and he's going to execute that plan as he sees in his timing. God's divine providence beyond our ability to fully understand. It's where our faith has to kick in, where we have to lean into what we believe and why we believe it to be truth. For such a time as this, he moved forward with confidence of his calling, even knowing it would cause him great physical pain, that it would even cost him his life. He was teaching and healing people right up to his arrest. He stayed focused on his purpose, knowing that the plan was powerful. He allowed the process to be completed, that God had a plan for the beginning of time. You know, we talked about this before. What God has started in you, he will complete. Can we be faithful in that? Even when we don't understand what he's doing in and through the process. There was no turning back. We must remember that God wants us to be restored to him no matter what. Sometimes we think it's just taking way too long for all this to unfold. The second Peter 3, 9 is our reminder. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We say all the time, come Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready right now. Right now is good, let's go. Ah, but as long as we're here, then help us be obedient to what you want us to do in this time, in this season. This week is what the gospel message is all about. The very beginning of restoration, Palm Sunday. Love that starts with celebration. The main theme of the Bible as a whole is based on restoration. When we think about the church and what the church is supposed to be, it's supposed to be a place of restoration told you before, I've been in churches where somebody does something wrong and they get kicked to the curb. They get shown the door. Now, the idea is that's not going to happen here. Something happens, you're struggling in life. You know what? We're going to reset and we're going to walk with you. 
Church is, is a place of restoration. Jesus is, is a savior of restoration. When we think about salvation, it's a package deal. Salvation brings forgiveness of sins. Yes, eternal life, most definitely. But it also brings deliverance from bondage. It brings healing to body, mind, and soul. So what do we do with this knowledge that we have? Remember, we're responsible. Once we hear God's word, we're responsible for it. It's no longer on him. It's not on anybody else. Once you've heard it, you're responsible to act on it. You're responsible to engage. If you're a believer, you can celebrate knowing what's coming, that you have eternity in heaven to look forward to. Because God loves us. He loves you. His creation. You're his creation. He created you and he loves you. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life. That in itself should bring even more hope and more joy to you. God loves you. He put a plan in place for you. Jesus followed through with his part at great expense to himself, obedient even unto death. However, on the other side, if you're not a believer, where is your hope? Well, you do have hope if you accept Christ. That hope is available to you as well. If you accept him and you turn from the things of the world, that hope is right there for you. We all need to be obedient. We all need to reach out to him and accept him. And as we accept him, we need to then be obedient to do what his will is for our life as we study his word, as we seek direction of the Holy Spirit for our lives. It's that aspect on a daily basis of saying, Lord, what is your heart for me? Usually we just say, well, Lord, this is my heart. I'm gonna pray that. And Lord, what is your heart for me? What is your will for my life? Not my will, but your will be done. May my heart match your heart. And may I be obedient to all that you've called me to do. In the process of our passage, we see that Jesus accepted who he was. Same thing for us. It's a great example. Accept who God has made you to be. Strive to do everything that you can possibly do to, to be obedient to what he's called you to do. And it's hard. But do the work. The blessings are even greater. As we accept, as we learn, as we grow in our faith, we have to ask God to give us compassion and mercy for those who miss the message and do not receive it. As we're in this season where we, we use that word Easter loosely, it's Resurrection Sunday is what we're headed towards, but everybody is very religiously minded, aren't they? You walk into King Supers, the big aisle full of candy, first of all. That's at the devil. I'm on a diet. When you're on a diet, it's really of the devil. Full of candy and eggs and bunnies and, right, a bunch of other stuff. But people are thinking about it, aren't they? So how important would it be for you to share a little bit of hope? Well, actually, this time of the year is about Christ. Can I share with you what it's really about? Can I share with you the hope that I have? That's what we should do with this season, with this holiday, a time of true celebration. How many of you want joy? I want joy. 
The joy of the Lord is my strength. We need that, don't we? How about we give some of that joy to somebody else too, amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for today's passage and or the connection between all the gospels that we can read the whole story. And I thank you that we have the bigger picture. We can see the bigger picture and we can worship knowing and understanding what Palm Sunday is and where it's headed. And ultimately the worship that we can do next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection. Father God, thank you for sending your son Thank you for sending your son to restore us and our relationship with you. Jesus, thank you for, for coming, for being willing to step out of, of the beauty of heaven from that throne room, for fulfilling all the prophecies that were foretold about you. And I also thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to fill us, to minister to us, I ask that you, you help us as genuine followers of Christ to step out and to give a reason for the hope that we have and to do that with gentleness and compassion. Especially this week, Lord, as, as people are more attuned to religious things because of the celebration of Easter. God, help us to use it to show people that, that it's not about eggs and bunnies, but it's about you and your love for us. It's about your life, death, burial, and your resurrection. Help us, Lord, is our prayer. with every head bowed and eyes still closed. One, if you're already a believer, I would ask you just to pray for those that maybe don't know Christ. Two, if you're not a believer, you might realize that you don't have that relationship with God. You're, you're outside of this picture that we've been talking about. Everything that we have been talking about this morning is for you. God has a specific plan for you, for your life. He desires that you surrender everything to him. And you might feel that tugging in your, in your heart from the Holy Spirit. The reality is you need to surrender to God. God who created a perfect world. You were part of that creation and sin broke that perfection and it separated us from God. And if we go on living for our own desires, it simply leads to an eternity in hell. But if we can surrender our lives to God, and accept him into our lives, it brings an eternity in heaven. And I quote the chorus of a song often. It says, it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been. It doesn't matter what the scar or the sin. It doesn't matter if you've fallen somewhere along the way. There's healing for your life today. And it's through Jesus Christ. It's by simply surrendering everything to God. Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's every single person in this room. But Jesus restored hope of forgiveness 
and he restored a relationship with God. And the simplicity of the gospel message is found in Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I would ask you today to simply confess and believe. And if that's you this morning, if you say, Scott, I'm done with the world of sorrow, I'm done with, with all the mess that's around this, and I need that joy that you've talked about, I need to be connected with Jesus. And I would ask you to pray something like this. And it's just a conversation from your heart to God's. But I say, Lord, I needed you in my life. I want you to be part, I want to be part of the family of faith. I don't want to live as the world dictates. I truly need to be connected to you this morning. I need that restored relationship with the Father. So I confess that you are Lord. And I believe that you raised from the dead or are in heaven with the Father right now. I believe in you. And I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me share the hope that I have with everybody that you bring across my path. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good and all the time. Amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer in this room, I'd love to chat with you and pray with you. If you prayed online, just shoot me an email and I'll get back to you as well. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.